Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical document integrity profession. The Actus podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bring you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today, Wednesday, September 11, marks our 132nd program. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm, of course, your host for today's program, Tackling the Problem List. Before I get started, I did just want to acknowledge um, the, the, the terrible events of 9-11, of course, that we all remember, and uh, just a, a, a prayer for the families and, and uh, all the folks impacted by that, that terrible event. Um, but I do want to go ahead and introduce our co-host and guest today. So we have today our co-host at left, Sharm Brody. Sharm is a full-time instructor for the CDI boot camps with us here at Actus, as well as a subject matter expert. She has more than 35 years of experience in the healthcare industry, including multiple roles um, in nursing and a variety of roles. Uh, she also served as a consultant, providing program audits, implementation, and continuing education for CDI departments. And I'm back on the show, so welcome, Sharm. Hi, Brian, how are you? Doing well today. Good. Next, I'd like to introduce our, our special guest today. We have with us today, Deanne Wilk. Uh, Deanne is the manager of CDI for Penn State Health in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Her experience spans 35 years in the healthcare field. Her primary nursing background includes telemetry and home health nursing, uh, transitioning into an education role and then eventually into CDI. Um, over the years, she's worked on uh, numerous educational projects, articles, contributed as a subject matter expert to CDI. You might recognize her, for example, from our Actus Advisory Board. And Deanne will also be presenting on today's topic at the upcoming 2019 Actus Symposium, Outpatient CDI in Austin, Texas. And I'm thrilled to have her on the show to talk about this important topic. So welcome, Deanne. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. Okay. Well, as I always do, I'm going to start with a question related to today's topic. Uh, the question reads, how does your organization handle updating providers' problem lists? And I'm gonna just clar clarify this as both inpatient and outpatient problem lists. So do you ask your providers to make those updates? Are your allowed to make updates to the problem list? Perhaps you have another comment, uh, excuse me, another process for updating the problem list. And I'm actually hoping you guys can send in your comments via the chat portal so I can see what those are. If you do have an interesting process or a different process, um, maybe your problem lists are generally not a problem. I'll probably use that one liner throughout the show um, or not applicable. Again, uh, how does your organization handle updating its providers' problem lists? Um, do you ask your providers to update it? Do your CDI professionals update it? Another process, please send in your comment. We'd like to see what that might be. Uh, you're lucky enough that problem lists are generally not an issue for you, or again, not applicable. I'm gonna let 
that hang out there for just one more minute while folks take the poll. We've got about two thirds of our audience uh, voting. I like to hit, I like to see it hit seventy percent. That's my that's my threshold. So get 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 your, get those votes in. All right, we're at seventy. I'm going to go ahead and close this out, and we will uh, come back to the poll results in just a few minutes. All right, as I mentioned, our guest today is Deanne Wilk. Deanne, thanks for being a part of the Actus podcast and coming on the program. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on. So as I mentioned, you, uh, Deanne will be speaking at the program um, at the, uh, excuse me, upcoming uh, outpatient symposium in a session, how to handle the problematic problem list. It will be a session on sort of the background and the history of the problem list, who developed it, that list's initial intent, and who should and could make entries on the problem list. As I understand it, Deanne, you're going to talk about some regulatory standards and requirements, uh, but also really a practical session on how to handle it, you know, sort of looking at what you guys did at Penn State. Um, uh, You've got some really cool stuff to share. We might get into a little bit on this today's show about like a black belt project and case study related to this. So, um, but I thought maybe what we could start with, Deanne, is just sort of a brief overview of the the outpatient program that you guys have at Penn State to get some context for our listeners, you know, how long you've been in it, what your process is, and what sort of the basic metrics uh, for success you monitor. So could you maybe start with that? Sure. So the program that we, we've been working on this for three and a half years now, about three and a half years, um, is when we had started it and our primary focus currently is uh, in the emergency department um, we have a cdi specialist who works with the providers rounds with them um, she initially started working on ed to admissions cases and has evolved into reviewing observation cases and we hope to expand that into regular ed visit reviews and then the other side that we have done is many pilots. We talked about the black belt, um, and we've done many pilots to now a process of uh, audit and educate. Um, so that's primarily how we handle our outpatient. And now we have another new initiative that we're looking at with our entire internal medicine group to initiate um, within the uh, internal medicine clinics, but our reviews are, like I said, are primarily an audit and educate. Uh, we review those cases for quality, um, quality documentation, some quality measures, and then we collaborate with the coding department on, they re they look at the cases for uh, the E&M aspect, and then we work with them on the documentation aspect. That way we're both coming at them with good data uh, on the same case from different perspectives, but truly educating the provider on both ends. Um, so it's worked well. Um, we've done that a, a number of times. Um, and then, of course, becoming more robust within our clinics and um, working with not only our academic providers, but also our community providers. Um, and then integrating uh, the EHR into that process as well. So we have some HCC identifiers, which I talk about in my presentation and um, for those HCCs and so forth. So that's kind of where we're at currently. 
All right, great. Gosh, nice sounds like a lot. <laughs> I'm hoping I'm not speaking at the same time you are at the symposium so I can come listen to you. Um, <laughs> can you, I know, I would, I would really like to listen to something about the problem list. Can you identify for us some of the problems that you have identified with this problem list? I know that sounds like a joke, but seriously, <laughs> um, yeah. are you finding that some of the diagnoses are no longer valid um, or a physician's using in a different way? Um, possibly for some critical thinking that might be going on about a certain diagnosis. Uh, what, what, what have you identified so far? A lot. <laughs> so, <Okay. laughs> um, so really, I mean, the whole reason that I wanted to get involved in this initiative is really to, we, we've always known that the problem list has been a problem. And back in the paper days, it wasn't such a problem. But moving that problem list into the EHR, I think is really where it became a greater a greater problem for most organizations but what we have found some of the problems are that they're excessive you know the problem list is excessive it's missing information um, when we did our black belt we found that our problem lists were only 70 percent accurate um, so there's things missing um, sure you see conditions on there that don't belong there um, we were seeing things like um, patient's dog died um, you know, just oh. ir really irrelevant things. Um, and there was a very big variance um, amongst physicians as to what they felt should be on that problem list. So we, we tried to streamline that um, in our work. Um, so one of the things we had talked about, you know, or whether CDI encoders are picking these up for billing. Can we code from it? So some of the, the regulatory things that I wanted to look at were can we? Um, so our process is, you know, that we work to support it. We work to support it, and we also work to pull it into the rest of the record. And I think that's really what is key for the problem list. Um, who can do the work for it? We'll talk about that. Um, Regulatory-wise, anybody can. Um, it's up to everyone, Joint Commission, uh, CMS, everyone leaves it up to the facility. Now, there was a statement paper long ago in, um, well, really the AHIMA ethics um, that were developed long ago um, stated that they felt that CDI encoding should not have any action on the problem list. Now, I know recently that um, for AHIMA, they had put out a position paper stating um, that they were reconsidering that remark um, and that really it's up to the facility. So, you know, in the presentation, I talk about that, you know, is it wise to do that? Who should do it? You know, what action should you take? Hmm. Great. So can I ask just quickly before Brian goes on with his question, at your facility, are you allowing um, coders to code from the problem list? So the way that we handle it, we do not. So we query okay. on the inpatient side, um, and then they work with the providers on the outpatient side to uh, validate, educate, and um, pull that information in. On the outpatient side, they do. Uh, on the inpatient side, we work very hard to get that information in the problem list. And I'll, um, I can talk a little bit about uh, the process that we do. So we have an EHR process um, that the everything on the problem list, the EHR, uh, the attending is responsible for putting you know the things on there at the beginning but the discharging physician is responsible for reconciling the problem list. So we have a hard stop where they must address those things on the problem list as current, active, uh, resolved, history, 
no longer relevant, and that's where the problem list gets updated. But we'll talk, you know, at the presentation, we talk a lot about different ways to handle that and for different organizations. Right. Oh, good piece. Very good. <laughs> Sorry, Brian. Yeah, no problem. You stole my thunder a little bit, Sharma, but that's okay. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say we, we got a, a lot, a lot of great comments from folks. Maybe, maybe I'll just um, add a couple of these into the show as we're going here. So we have, um, you know, we did ask how, how folks are handling this. Some of the responses have been no process or problem list is updated electronically. Uh, but then we have some really detailed ones like we print off the diagnosis of a resident, but the problem is that they will update the list, but then list the problem is active in the dictation. It's a huge issue for our facility. We ask our providers to update the list. We'll be able to update them soon based on query responses only. Um, our organization does not focus or code from the problem lists. They're, they're not current, quite confusing. No one at our organization really wants to own it. CDI runs a daily report via the EMR to track any blank problem lists. And per hospital policy, CDI and HIM is responsible for monitoring it. Um, there is no consensus. As a result, the problem list is not updated. So it really does sound like a, a major problem for a lot of folks. Um, yeah, it's really, you know, it really has to be an organizational effort. There needs to be an organizational awareness, an organizational effort. Um, and like the, you know, like the listeners are saying, there has to be consistency. It's, it's almost like, you know, the problem is such a mess that no one wants to deal with it. So we just, you know, continue on. Right. But really, like I said, it, it has to be, you know, you have to bring in the software redesign. There needs to be awareness. There needs to be education. And truly, there has to be provider involvement in the process. That's really where you will get the traction. Mm-hmm. This one was interesting too, just wanted to quickly share this. This is from um, Amy, one of our listeners. She said, at our organization, our outpatient CDI program is piloting a program in primary care to have the wellness nurses embedded in the practices to update the problem list. Yeah. There's currently only one practice involved in the pilot, but we expect this will expand to our other outpatient practices. This pilot's being driven by our outpatient CDI program of two CDSs. That's that's kind of interesting. A pilot program might be one way to test whether the solution might work. Yeah, yeah, that, that's great. Okay. I've also seen um, some of the payers become involved and in having their case managers involved in their outpatient clinics and so forth to assist yep. with some of this work. So yeah, right. So some cool stuff going on. Thanks for sharing those, listeners. <laughs> Dana, I'm going to ask you about the Black Belt program that we've been mentioned a couple of times. Can you give us a little bit of the um, details on that? Yeah, so we did, this was a year-long, probably over a year-long process of, it really started out um, as an HCC project. And, you know, what's the best way to capture? What's the best way to implement our outpatient CDI? Um, what it quickly turned to was a root cause analysis as the root cause was the problem list. And really, we need to fix that issue before we can move on to truly capturing accurate conditions and data. Um, you know, because if you're capturing HCCs that truly aren't relevant or accurate, um, you know, that's an even bigger problem. So we had to solve one issue before we could truly 
um, integrate our outpatient CDI into the clinics to have accurate data. Um, so that's really where this originated. We did have provider involvement. Um, the one thing I can say about the black belt, you know, we did look at the design um, and uh, root cause it, work through a process. The initial process was a paper process, um, and then we quickly were able to move that to our EHR um, in order to capture our HCCs and work with, like I said, of the hard stop on the problem list. Um, but we had great provider involvement. In fact, um, the one thing I will say about our black belt that, that helped uh, it succeed was that the providers were involved and the providers were the ones who were doing the one-on-one -on -one education um, at that initial stage on, during the pilots. So, yeah. Interesting. So that, that black belt, uh, is that a, a Lean Six Sigma program, is that right? Right, yep. Yeah. Yes, I was correct. curious whether that was something you guys did or whether you actually had some external support to get that program running. No, it was, uh, we did that internally. Yeah, we have That's a great black belt project team. All right. Maybe just to wrap up, um, Deanne, uh, I know you're going to be doing a, the full hour session on this at our symposium in November. Again, we're uh, we're in Austin, Texas, for our outpatient symposium, November 14, 15. And curious, what else our attendees of that session might uh, could expect to find by going to your session? Well, I think they'll get a solid understanding of what the problem list really is, um, how it should be used, and how to address as an organization and with the providers for optimization. Yeah. That sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Too. All right. All right. Let's bounce back to our poll question. Um, so again, we asked folks, um, how does your organization handle updating its providers problem lists? So we have a majority, 67% that state they ask their providers to do the updates. 6% uh, say they, their CDI specialists are allowed to update it. 7% have another process for updating. I kind of shared a couple of those during the program. Uh, we have 5% that say they're generally not an issue in their facility. And 15% not applicable. So those are your poll results. And uh, wondering what you think, Deanne, any surprises here? No, I think, you know, like I said, I think that, you know, the nice thing about it is that CDI really is is optimally prepared and available and um, sees the overall picture, has the time to do it. It's really about how can we save the provider time. So I am all for CDI becoming involved in working on this initiative. Right. Any thoughts here, Sharm? No, I, I agree with with the end. I think that CDI specialists are in a position that they could really help out in handling the problem list. All I'd right. like to know how many of the physicians actually get involved. I know. Yeah, that would, that might be interesting to ask on a on a future show. All right. Well, thanks, guys. All right, let's let's switch over to our in the news segment. Uh, in the News is a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. Uh, today I'd like to discuss a petition 
that's been issued by our friends over at the American Case Management Association, or ACMA, which is close the Medicare observation status gap. Um, I've got this up on the screen. You guys should all be seeing it, I hope, at this point. I'm going to make sure we're, I'm sharing that appropriately. Yep. Um, so, and again, I will share the link to this after the program, but in short, uh, how ACMA, this is a petition uh, issued by ACMA about, um, about coverage, and it reads, um, under Medicare law, patients must have an inpatient stay in a hospital spanning at least three days in order for Medicare to cover a subsequent rehab stay in a skilled nursing facility or SNF. However, uh, outpatients or those under observation receive the exact same care as their inpatient counterparts. You know, things like medical and nursing care, diagnostic tests, treatments, medications, food, very similar to the level of care for inpatients. And, you know, sometimes these observation patients are experiencing extended stays of three or more days in a hospital bed. Um, they quote a nice statistic here from the OIG from 2016. Uh, that Medicare beneficiaries experience uh, 60, 633,148 outpatient hospital stays that lasted longer than 72 hours. Um, so the problem here is, of course, that Medicare does not cover follow-on rehab services provided by a SNF for those long-term observation patients, even though the care received by these patients is medically necessary. Uh, they describe this gap, this observation status gap, as unsustainable and unaffordable for seniors. Um, again, a, a nice statistic here, well, sobering one, that the average stay at a, at a skilled nursing facility costs more than 10000 obviously more than many Medi Medicare beneficiaries can afford. So they're asking us to, uh, anyone interested to fill this gap by signing the petition. It looks like they've got over 3,500 signatures and met their goal of 3,500. Hey, look, Sean Brody signed it. <laughs> I did. Actually, list your name. So um, I wanted to bring this to our members' attention. Our Actus Regulatory Committee actually brought this to my attention and asked that I cover it on Actus Radio. Um, so if you do want to sign it, you can just Google this, or I will, as I always do, uh, put the link to the in the news item in the show notes of today's program. But curious what, what your thoughts are, Dan, whether this is an issue for you guys at, at uh, Penn State or what you think of the of the uh, the petition in general. Yeah, I think it's great. I, you know, the the thing about I think a lot of organizations are looking at now with their observation cases, I know for us, you know, that they've greatly increased um, you know, so, you know, the, unfortunately the payers are getting us on the front end and the back end. Um, so, you know, looking at these observation cases, we, you know, they, we have to, we have to be able to close this gap, you know, and, um, really do what's right by the patient. And I think that's really, you know, what this is about is, you know, it, it's not only going to, it'll promote readmissions and it affects your length of stay and our quality measures. So it's something that needs to be addressed. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think those these stays are pretty much indistinguishable, almost, you know, inpatient observation. You know, it's important for Medicare coverage and, and billing, but uh, to the hospital and the level of care they provide, not, not really much difference, if any. Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts on this, Charm, at all? 
Oh, it used to be very heartbreaking though when you'd have a family come in with a with a an elderly family member and they needed to get them into a SNF and it's very hard to do um from the outside. And so they would have them admitted to the hospital and unfortunately most of the time they were admitted for a reason that didn't meet inpatient medical necessity. So the claim was going to be denied anyway, but they ended up going home before the three days. So we had a lot of physicians in a very small community hospital that would try to help the family out by admitting the patient to the hospital, and it just ended up being a vicious cycle. They should make it easier for people to go from observation to one of these skilled nursing facilities or rehabs. They really should. Right. All right. Thanks, Sharma. Thanks, Deanne. Appreciate you guys' input on this uh, important petition. All right. I did want to uh, wrap up here with, of course, with our Actus update. Uh, Actus update is a regular feature bringing you the latest updates on what's going on inside of our association here. Um, I'm sure you've all noted that I've been highlighting our upcoming Actus Symposium Outpatient CDI. Our last three shows have been dedicated to this, but we do we do two uh, live programs a year at Actus. One is the Outpatient Symposium, but of course, the big one is our uh, annual national conference each May. Uh, planning has begun in earnest for this. This is uh, the, the national conferences, a year-round effort for us. We typically might give ourselves a couple weeks off at the end, <laughs> the end of the program before we start planning for the next one. We're already contracting hotels for as far out as 2021. So we're, we're currently uh, recruiting speakers for the 2020 conference. So we'll be in uh, Las Vegas next uh, May, May 5 through 8 um, at the beautiful Mirage. If you guys haven't been there, it's a, it's a lovely hotel and convention center. Um, even nicer, I think, than our last stop in Vegas. Um, so I hope you are planning on attending, but one way to get there very cheaply is to apply to speak. So if you're chosen as a speaker, we waive admission to the conference. Uh, we are currently um, looking for your applications to speak. This page here, which again, I will share in the show notes at the end of the program, uh, talks about the, the process to apply. There is a link to an application, which takes you to this page here. It's a program we use um, called Hub. It's just a speaker application program, makes it makes it very easy to apply. Um, we have a, if you're wondering, hmm, what should I maybe present on? I've got a lot of, been in this field for a while, I'm not sure what Actus wants to see. We do have a nice list here of suggested sessions and tracks that our conference committee of volunteers has put together. Um, you know, we're doing a clinical encoding track where we cover uh, diagnoses, diagnostic uh, you know, disease processes. We cover uh, coding clinic, APR, DRGs. We have a management and professional development track we're offering, you know, things like staff management, principles of leadership, position engagement and metrics, um, sessions on quality and regulatory initiatives, uh, Medicare Advantage, uh, HCCs, RAF scores, for example, uh, compliance, uh, PSIs, all that stuff we, we cover. We've recently added a idea laboratory, so we're looking at um, shorter sessions on maybe some innovative process or procedure that you've uh, incorporated in your CDI program that's made a difference. 
uh, could be a research project or finding. You may, you may recall we had some really nice uh, research projects going on in the field that we highlighted last year. Um, and uh, beyond hospital walls, so CDI in other settings than just acute care. Uh, so we, we've really got um, a lot of potential uh, avenues for you to really present your your best session for us. And if you, frankly, if there's something here that you don't see and you have an original idea, well, we love to see those as well. So this is not a, um, you have to come up with something on this list. This is some suggested sessions that our conference committee likes. So consider it. And again, we're having our conference next May, May 5th through 8th. We are closing the speaker application this Friday, end of day. We have extended it already once and we do need to wrap this up so we can get started on speaker selection but uh, please consider applying um, this is how we advance knowledge in the CDI profession what we what we do on programs like Actus podcast we're bringing you guests folks like Deanne that have innovative ideas so if you haven't uh, sent your session in we are still looking and it's pretty easy to do um, and as I mentioned, this is our last show previewing our upcoming ACTUS Symposium Outpatient CDI. So I would also encourage you, you know, budget permitting and time permitting to check out our, this program coming up in November. I did want to highlight one more time a very fun giveaway that we're having related to the symposium. <laughs> Frankly, who, who doesn't like beer? I mean, I'm guilty as charged. I love craft beer. Um, so if you do take advantage of our early bird pricing, which uh, and you register before September 21st, we're going to be entering everyone into who, who takes advantage of the early bird into our Austin Brewery Tours giveaway. Um, you know, in addition to reaping the benefits of everything we have to offer, you can celebrate it by uh, enjoying some great local free beer and an opportunity to network with your with your peers over beer. What what better way to share ideas, right? So. <laughs> kind of a fun. And are you uh, part of the tour, Brian? You know, I might be. I'm not. I'm not a. Brewer, I think you should I, be. But I do know a thing or two about uh, New England IPAs, so maybe I'll be sharing some <laughs> of my insight there. <laughs> I think it'd be a perfect so, place. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and of course, I'd be remiss. Um, in fact, I am remiss by not bringing this up earlier. But next week, of course, is uh, CDI week. This is our week of recognition for the CDI professionals, uh, for CDI professionals across the nation. We've got uh, a really fun theme this year, um, CDI superheroes. If you haven't checked out what we've got to offer, you can find all of this uh, under events and education. I'm highlighting this here. And click CDI week. We've got po posters to download. We've got some fun games to, to download and a list of suggested activities. We're going to have some great information for you all next week, including um, the results of a national survey, uh, industry overview survey, and some daily Q&As from thought leaders and experts. So um, I am really looking forward to CDI week. I did just want to have a shout out now because we're not doing Actus Radio, uh, excuse me, Actus Podcast next week. We won't be live on the air, but I wanted to have a uh, just a quick shout out to all the hardworking CDI professionals across the nation. Thank you for what you do. All right, that is going to do it for today's show. We'll be back here again in two weeks for our next episode, which is the 
2020 IPPS final rule. We're going to be covering some of the important changes in there or some of the changes that were not made, fortunately, in there. Uh, as I always say, if you have any suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, future topics you might like to see featured on the Actus podcast, I, I love getting those. That's how I get my next show lined up. So please send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. That will do it. Thanks again, Deanne, for joining us today, and Charm as always. And we'll see you guys back here again in two weeks. Take Thank care, you. everyone. Yeah. I know. Take care.